Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Florida's 60-day legislative session hits the midway point with some of Governor Ron DeSantis' priorities still up in the air. Mike Pence rebukes Trump over January 6th during a speech in Florida. And President Joe Biden lashes out at the Florida legislature over a controversial proposal dubbed the Don't Say Gay Bill. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be talking about today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Fins. But first... Gentlemen, uh, you got some numbers for us today. How about you, John? <laughs> Zach, uh, last week I came in uh, below zero with my number, but uh, this week I'm reaching for the stars again. I've got a 200 million. All right, we're warming up a bit. Uh, how about you, Antonio? Wow, so John's back into the uh, what nine-figure nine range. I, I'm coming down <laughs> a little bit lower. You know, John goes high, I go low. 235. All right, and I'm uh, 5,571. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, we're halfway through another busy legislative session that is being dominated to a large degree by Governor Ron DeSantis and his priorities. The governor is pushing everything from a new elections police force to another crackdown on illegal immigration as he prepares to run for re-election and possibly ramps up for a presidential bid in 2024. John, what's happening with the governor's agenda? Is it on track? Oh, yeah. The the governor has few worries at this point. Uh, he's got a very compliant legislature. And the Republicans who dominate it uh, seem to view that his success will mean that they're successful, especially when it comes to uh, this year's elections. Um, you know, wasn't uh, wasn't a Republican President Ronald Reagan who talked of a rising tide lifts all boats? Well, these Florida Republicans are looking for DeSantis to help keep them afloat when it comes to next November. And uh, so, you know, what does this translate into? It's basically. The governor's idea uh, on just about everything, as you pointed out, Zach, election security, another crackdown related to immigration. Uh, then there's the uh, sharpest abortion limits in years, rolling back the, the number of weeks of pregnancy that an abortion could be obtained during. Uh, these are all moving forward. And um, his bid to outlaw critical race theory, uh, discussions in the classroom and workplaces about how racial discrimination fit into the the context of this country and well you know his legislation could spawn new lawsuits in the workplace and a clamp down on race discussions in schools uh, all that looks soon to pass in the legislature and then we we mentioned a moment ago the uh 
don't say gay bill that uh, also is going on that would put new limits on uh, discussion of uh, gender identity. Uh, that's another uh, prohibition that looks like it's ready to go. So it seems like these kind of Republican flashpoints, you know, election fraud, the threat of immigrants and minorities and the anti-abortion movement, they're all converging. And uh, every Republican from the, the governor on down to individual legislators see their election year chances tied to gaining success in these issues. Uh, you know, Fox News is popular with the GOP base for a reason. And uh, Florida Republicans are advancing a menu of bills that is straight from Fox newscasts and talk shows. Uh, money, of course, is not a problem this year. Uh, there's no distraction there when it comes to the budget between the federal aid that the state has uh, taken in. And then also uh, the economy in Florida has been going along pretty strong, um, you know, even with uh the, the post-pandemic world and uh, supply chain problems and inflation, the economy is still pretty robust in this state. Um, that gives Republicans opportunity to sweeten tax breaks for corporations. That's another good election year thing for the party, which is putting the arm on donor donors right now for campaigns. Um, and DeSantis even weighed into uh, congressional redistricting with his own map. That's something that Florida governors never do. And when he asked the state Supreme Court to issue an advisory opinion on one of his proposals in the map, uh, that would be eliminating two black congressional districts to uh, create two heavy Republican districts. The legislature joined with him in asking uh, justices to, to give it their view. So, um, you know, whether the court weighs in on this is still an open question right now as we record this, but all of it shows just how the governor uh, you know, when he says he wants something, legislative leaders are quick to say, you know, we do too. So uh, there's not much separation between the uh, governor and this legislature. You know, there's a few things still to be settled, uh, but I can imagine that these issues, you know, I can't see any of them really going off the rail. That's what I was going to ask you about, John. I mean, there's like, um, you know, this elections bill, for example, um, you know, the governor wanted sworn law enforcement officers to go after uh, alleged alleged election fraud. Um, the, the legislature is saying, we'll, we'll give you some investigators in the Department of uh, State, but not necessarily sworn um, law enforcement officers. There's there's things here and there where it, does, it doesn't seem like they want to go fully uh, towards what the governor wants, but he's still going to get those headlines, right? Yeah, yeah. I You know, the, some of the details of uh, how these things will be constructed. Indeed, uh, you know, what the legislature did on elections is uh, significant. It's not as much of a police force as uh, DeSantis uh, envisioned that would be housed within the Department of State. The legislature didn't seem to want to go there. They sort of said, we'll have, uh, you know, uh, non-sworn investigators, but you'll still have to deal with the uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement when it comes to actual investigation. But, you know, he's also still waiting for action on his billion dollar gas tax break idea. There's yeah, and that's interesting, too, because I, I heard that Wilton Simpson, or I read somewhere that uh, Simpson was, um, you know, the president of the Senate had a little bit of cold feet on that because the gas tax is not just paid by Floridians. It's paid by obviously anybody, travelers, visitors, tourists from other places who visit the state. And so you're giving a big tax break to people from out of state, not to people uh, just in Florida. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So but wh whether whether that doesn't happen, uh, that would be remarkable to me if uh, DeSantis did not get this big tax break that by the way it's designed in the governor's mind, 
it would uh, take effect in July and would last for five months. So it would take him through the November election. So that would be something he'd be campaigning on, I would think, that I've given you a tax break. Well, it, do, it does It does definitely seem like he's really getting um, pretty much uh, everything he wants, uh, or at least most of it. And so um, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, but, uh, John, uh, you had a good story on all of this. It's uh, running in Gannett, Florida, papers across the, the state this week. So everybody should uh, check that out to get some some more details. Well, after Trump again said recently that Mike Pence should have overturned the 2020 election during the certification of the Electoral College votes on January 6th, the former vice president came to Florida and offered his strongest rebuke yet of the president, former president. Pence spoke at a Federalist Society convention in Orlando last week where he said that, quote, President Trump is wrong. I had no right to overturn the election. Antonio, there aren't a lot of people in the GOP forcefully pushing back against Trump these days. How significant was this moment? Well, there are not a lot of people pushing back against Trump, especially not here in Florida, Trumplandia. And a great example is Marco Rubio, who did a dance around this worthy of a uh, one of Salsa Queen Celia Cruz's greatest hits. <laughs> and DeSantis danced around it, too. You know, when he was asked about Pence's comment, he kind of just said, oh, I'll let them hash it out like this isn't yeah, something. Yeah, but not, not as artful as uh, Marco Rubio. Yeah. I mean, he and on the, the Florida senior se senator appeared on Face the Nation this week where he was asked about Pence and the censoring of January 6th committee GOPers uh, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Uh, who were reprimanded a week ago by the Republican National Committee for questioning, and get this, quote-unquote, legitimate political discourse. That's how the RNC document labels what happened on January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol. The rest of the planet saw something very differently, but that's for another discussion. On Face the Nation, Ruby was precisely asked about what Penn said and whether the senior senator from Florida agreed that the vice president can't overturn an election. Now, let, let's follow this here. Rubio started by saying he didn't want Vice President Kamala Harris to be able to overturn the 2024 election. That was more of a political answer than a constitutional one. And strange for a constitutional conservative to begin, like Rubio, to begin the answer that way. But then he said that after analysis, he quote unquote, came to the same conclusion as Pence that a Veep can't overturn an election. Again, an odd way for a lifelong constitutionalist to answer a question about the Constitution well, in, in fact, he never actually even cited the Constitution as answer. But nonetheless, that answer puts him in Team Pence. But wait, there's more. Then he was asked if Trump was wrong. And this is where Rubio went full sacerdotal here. He didn't say Trump was wrong. Just that the ramifications of saying yes put Harris in the position deciding the 2024 election, and he didn't want to wind up there. So that's kind of straddling both camps. Next question. Did Rubio agree with the RNC's censure of Cheney and Kissinger? Rubio responded that, that anyone who commits violence or went to the Capitol to commit violence should be prosecuted. Okay, clear position, right? Except that then he went into a full, you know, Saturday Night Fever disco dance because he added that the January 6th commission is a partisan scam. Huh, you might ask? Well, Rubio explained that the commission is going after any Republican they can target to embarrass and smear them. That, folks, is a Trump talking point. So that puts Rubio in Team Trump for the moment. So where does Rubio land? Well, depends on which part of the answers you are listening to. The fact is the committee is investigating the attack on the Capitol and the origins of what, the origins of what every day looks more like a coup. And the people that Rubio suggests they're harassing, like a bomb thrower Steve Bannon, 
aren't being harassed. In fact, they are on podcasts and right-wing media boasting about what they did. A perfect example is former White House staffer Peter Navarro, who actually grew up in Palm Beach County. Uh, Navarro has apparently even written a book about how he and Bannon were orchestrating a plot they called the Green Bay Sweep to stop vice, the vice president from certifying an election in a process that Rubio himself told Face the Nation's viewers he supports. On Face the Nation instead, Rubio instead passed out a vague example of this unnamed woman who he said her husband had passed away and Rubio said wasn't in D.C. on January 6th, but that she signed some papers and now she can't afford a lawyer. And he said she was being harassed by the January 6th committee. On that point, Face the Nation post Margaret Brennan concluded, it, concluded, okay, sounds like the RNC action does speak for you and moves on to China. So for those keeping score, Rubio was on both Team Trump and Team Pence at the same time. He, he played both sides. And actually, Rubio's dance-off and torch and speak really to the conundrum that up for election Republicans have in 2022, especially in Florida. They had to somehow reconcile their constitutional consciences with their political realities. If they piss off Trump, they don't get the endorsement and they are basically losers in the primary. And while the citizenry can see that, it's particularly disappointing of Marco Rubio. He is the son of Cuban exiles and he's made a political platform out of that truth. But you know who else is a Cuban exile? Me. And I grew up in a family that was 99% Cuban exiles. And let me tell our listeners that the biggest lament of all those exiles was that early on in 1959 and 1960, Cubans did not stand up to Fidel Castro. They went along either because they were fooled or they were scared, or they were opportunists. And the question for Rubio, and for so many others for that matter, Cubans or not, in the face of a former president who ended a tradition of accepting election results and embracing the peaceful transfer of power, a tradition dating back to the end of the Civil War, is do you stand up or do you go along? Yeah, and, and you mentioned uh, that RNC resolution that, that talked about legitimate political discourse, and that uh, rightly is getting a lot of attention, um, you know, the, it, uh, this whole idea of January 6th and trying to minimize what happened um, and uh, and say that there are, were, are people who are being uh, targeted unfairly. I mean, they tried to clean that up and, and say after the fact that, you know, no, we're not talking about the people who entered the Capitol. Um, but uh, that's what the resolution said. That resolution, you know, was supported, including by um, Republicans on the RNC here in Florida, like uh, Joe Gruters, who's the chair of the Florida um, GOP. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that, uh, you know, th that uh, people are trying to spin. But it, it is kind of shocking to see how uh, it's very shocking to see how much. Um, you know, after uh, as we get farther away from January 6th, um, that it has become, uh, you know, there, there's been more and more efforts to uh, rationalize this and uh, kind of uh, explain it away. Well, it's rare for the White House to comment on legislation advancing in the Florida legislature, but Biden didn't hold back this week in targeting a measure dubbed the, quote, don't say gay bill. The bill, which DeSantis appears to support, would restrict some conversations about sexual orientation and gender identity in schools. Biden called the legislation, quote, hateful. John, this has become one of the most talked about bills in the legislature this year. What do you think about Biden weighing in? Yeah, we usually have Governor DeSantis picking fights uh, or suing Joe Biden. But in this case, uh, the president is weighing in with a swipe at this Florida legislation. And uh, 
by extension, Ron DeSantis. Uh, yeah, it, it's really capturing attention, as you point out, across the nation. Uh, Biden sent out a tweet this week in support of the LGBTQ community, which feels very targeted by this legislation. He wrote, uh, I have your back and my administration will continue to fight for the protections and safety you deserve. Uh, similar to last year, when Florida lawmakers approved legislation that banned transgender girls from playing uh, girls or women's sports in Florida schools, DeSantis and uh, the ruling Republicans here uh, in the legislature, they're, they're seizing on another topic that they view as defending parents and traditional families. Uh, the legislation uh, kind of builds on the, the Parents' Bill of Rights passed last year, which you know, many didn't really understand when it went through, but which has since been a, a grounding for things like the, uh, the the ban on masks in school. And, uh, and you know, it, it's it's used by Republicans as a sort of the the, the, the rationale for a lot of uh, uh, other policy moves that we're starting to see unfold in the state. Uh, this time around, the legislation tells school districts that they uh, quote, uh, you know, may not encourage classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity in primary schools. And uh, then it goes on to talk about uh, sex or gender in a way that would not be considered uh, age appropriate would be uh, uh, banned. And, uh, you know, there's really aren't any definitions of what's considered appropriate, but Parents would have the option of suing school districts if they felt that teachers went too far. Um, the, the White House statement says that uh, conservative politicians in Florida are advancing legislation that is designed to target and attack the kids who need the support the most. That would be the LGBTQ students who are already vulnerable to bullying and violence for just for being themselves. That's what the White House does. So, um, you know, that kind of summarizes a lot of the criticism that's been aimed at this legislation uh, coming from uh, LGBTQ leaders. And uh, also, obviously, uh, it, it worries educators and school districts, uh, I guess, because of the legal exposure and sort of the, the daily uh, threat that it poses in, in classrooms and in kind of counseling sessions. Um, but it really fits into the general culture war theme that we're seeing Republicans advancing as a as a campaign strategy in Florida, you know, always kind of attacking the other, a, a, a boogie ban out there, whether it's immigrants, black activists, people wanting to vote, but not for Republicans. Uh, now it's targeting counseling school officials uh, who, you know, may give to gay or trans leaning kids uh, a conversation that they can't bring home to their parents. Uh, the legislature doesn't want that to happen in, in schools. Uh, the legislature would shut it down at the school level and you know, what better way than to hold the cloud of a lawsuit over uh, school districts? That's a, a good way to uh, kind of chill that conversation. It's probably going to pass because, again, it folds into the worldview of so many conservatives that someone out there is trying to take away what is yours and what you've become accustomed to. Um, you know, and Biden stepping into this fight, well, you know, that has a, a political undertone too. The, uh, the, the further right Republicans go, the less likely this LGBT community would ever vote for GOP candidates. And uh, Biden's administration is diverse and uh, it's ready to defend this move toward uh, diversity. And John, um, this seems to be coming up because of conversations around gender identity that are 
alleged to uh, have happened in some schools, maybe with with um, with certain kids. But uh, this is not the the first time that we're we're seeing. I mean, the transgender issue uh, in Florida has been a big one over the last few years, right? I mean, we had like the transgender bathroom bill about yeah. you know what bathrooms kids could use. We had the transgender athletes bill about whether uh, you know kids who are uh, uh, want to play sports uh, for gender that is not what they were biologically born as uh, can play in those um, uh, sports teams. I mean, this is this is really something that's been a, a big issue in Florida, in the Florida legislature over the last few years, right? The Republican legislature has seized on some of these, you know, anecdotal stories of, uh, uh, you know, kids getting counseling or uh, kids in other states playing sports, uh, transgender kids, because uh, there, there never seems to be that many uh, reports of uh, these issues within the state of Florida. Um, yet it somehow translates into law. And uh, that's where I think it all just goes back to this sort of echo chamber that you can find on uh, Fox News uh, many nights that uh, seems to really resonate with uh, these leaders in Florida. And they try to get out in front and look like they're actively doing something to uh, blunt this. And uh, it appeals to that that base that's out there uh, that is re-electing Republicans in the state. And uh, this is the kind of policy that it's yielding. You know, I, it, is it really satisfying? Are, are these, you know, top of mind issues for many parents? Uh, I, I guess, you know, when they frame it along the lines of like, you know, parents should be the ones deciding. Uh, many of these kind of issues are hard to argue with. It does sound like something maybe parents should be more involved in. But uh, school districts, I think, only step into it when there is an overarching uh, conflict between that parent and a child. And this whole parents' rights thing has really been supercharged because of the masks in schools and uh, things like vaccines and things like that. So um, yeah. it's uh, not surprising that some of that energy is uh, translating over into other policy issues. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here. Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yes, gentlemen, I picked a 235 and basically, um, this is the, I'm gonna go back to that theme that I was talking about earlier about Republicans and Trump. And the 235 number uh, is, is the, refers to the total number of uh, visits to Trump properties plus 51 events held at Trump locations by Republican politicians and candidates for, for office who have been there in the past year or so. Those visits include plenty of Florida Republicans, including Governor DeSantis and U.S. Senator Rick Scott. Now, the number was compiled by the watchdog group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, which is known for their acronym CREW. And what CREW concluded was, quote unquote, I'm going to you know, sort of read their little uh, paragraph here, uh, that these visits bring more than just profit to the for-profit kingmaker of the Republican Party. Uh, they bring an alternate reality, CREW said. Uh, furthermore, crew added, at Mar-a-Lago, Trump won in 2020, and these visits and events uh, where Trump is often present and frequently gives remarks uh, perpetuate that false belief that he won the 2020 election. Um, so what all of this speaks to is that, you know, we talked about Ruger's appearance on Face of Nation, but he's far from the only Republican who is either embracing the former president or doing a delicate dance. Uh, it speaks to the fact that Trump is the most powerful ex-president the country has ever seen, at least within his party. And we have never, we actually have never seen anything like this in American history. 
And it is presenting a unique challenge simply because the way that Trump has been able to do this is by perpetuating the lie that the election was stolen. Of course, we are now seeing some high profile Republicans split away. We talked earlier in the podcast about Pence. This week, it was actually Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who Trump is regularly ridiculing as a quote unquote broken old crow. And then there are others like Rubio who kind of dance around between the two camps, if we can call it that. But all of this just raises the stakes so high, uh, what raises the stakes so high is that 70% of Republicans believe the falsehood that Trump and conservative media personalities are telling about the 2020 election. Now, more than 60 judges, the former attorney general of the United States, Bill Barr, and scores of GOP federal and state officials have debunked the false claims of election fraud. But the vast majority of Republicans, polls continue to show, aren't listening to anyone but Trump and a few TV personalities. And Trump has used that as a billy club to keep the party's elected leaders and candidates in line behind him and to promulgate a number of election law changes in Florida and across the country that potentially set up some really ugly scenarios in this year's election and also in 2024. All right, those pilgrimages to Mar-a-Lago and other Trump properties continuing for ambitious Republicans trying to kiss the ring here. Uh, John, you wanna tell us about your number? Yeah, Zach, uh, my 200 million is dollars and that's what the Florida House in its uh, state budget proposal, what it wants to take away from the 12 counties and their school boards, which defied Governor Ron DeSantis over his prohibition against uh, forcing children to wear masks in school. You remember that, that, that tug of war consumed most of last summer at school board meetings and court. And then, you know, even during a special legislative session in November, when the governor got more refinement and clarity inserted into the law that gives only parents the authority to decide whether or not their kids wear masks in school. Uh, you know, if, if, if you didn't already have enough of this fight, well, uh, you know, here, Ran Representative Randy Fine, who is the House budget writer for the education matters, he's included this penalty in the House's state budget in a line item that he's calling putting parents first. It, it basically takes $200 million in state funding away from the 12 counties that tried to keep their mask policies in opposition to DeSantis. Uh, the money then is doled out to the 55 counties that followed DeSantis and uh, let parents decide. They're uh, basically rewarded for not following uh, CDC guidelines and the advice of most health professionals that Masks were a smart thing then when uh, COVID-19 was spreading and you, you had school rooms filled with young students who were then not eligible to be vaccinated. Uh, of course, you know, that, that's changed. But uh, the CDC is still kind of cautious about uh, indoor mask wearing. They're still sort of saying that's the, the, the way you should probably go for, a while, for the foreseeable future anyway, even as uh, a number of states are starting to revisit these policies. Um, but anyway, getting back to Randy Fine, it, it could mean real money lost in some of the state's biggest counties. Uh, Miami-Dade would lose almost $72 million, Broward almost $32.5 million, Palm Beach $28.4 million, Sarasota would be out $12 million. But even uh, Alachua, you know, home of the University of Florida and a liberal-leaning bastion in a sea of red Florida, Alachua would lose $2 million because of its uh, promotion of school masking. Uh, Fine, who uh, has already drawn attention for also promoting a 
local family in Brevard County that went national because they claimed their daughter with Down syndrome had a face mask tied to her by school staff. This went big in conservative circles last fall. And uh, of course, Fox News, on, uh, you know, picked it up. Uh, the, the dad went on Tucker Carlson's show. Um, but then finally, a state attorney's investigation and police investigation also found no evidence and uh, it was later learned that the story was, uh, you know, advanced with staged photographs and uh, false statements. Um, Fine called the masking child abuse by then. And uh, uh, DeSantis spokeswoman also likened uh, school officials to domestic terrorists. So, uh, the, the, you know, all those falsehoods just kept uh, piling onto each other. But um, anyway, just as you think that, you know, masks and school fights are dying down with, um, you know, these states now even starting to roll back mask requirements uh, that that states that had stricter policies. Well, here, here you know, here's fine. Still kicking the anthill. Um, the, the, the Senate doesn't include this punishment in its budget and fines penalty could eventually fade away in budget negotiations between the two sides. But with uh, Ron DeSantis in the governor's office, there's a good chance Fine, we'll have an ally for this latest swipe at school boards who don't tow the DeSantis line. Yeah, and this is an interesting issue, uh, John, because, um, you know, it's going to pit some Republicans against each other. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Sarasota County is one of the districts that would have its funding cut by 12 million. And I actually texted uh, Joe Gruters, a state senator from Sarasota, this morning about that. He's also uh, the head of the Florida GOP, and he he controls the education budget in the Florida Senate. And he said he doesn't support this and, you know, the district needs all the money it can get. So I think these uh, the House and the Senate are going to be fighting over this issue. But as you mentioned, uh, DeSantis was pretty riled up about these districts defying him. So if he takes the side of the House, it could put some pressure uh, on the Senate to go along with this. Well, my number is 5,571. That's how many so-called affidavits documenting alleged voting irregularities that a new conservative group called Defend Florida has collected in an effort to question the integrity of Florida's voting system. That's right. Even here in Florida, a state Donald Trump won twice and which was uh, declared by uh, DeSantis and others to have run a very clean election. Trump supporters have still been out trying to prove that there's widespread voting fraud. And this isn't some group that is being dismissed as a fringe organization by GOP leaders. Defend Florida has met with Governor Ron DeSantis's top staff, including his chief of staff and his legislative affairs director. They've uh, The group has actually met with DeSantis's staff on six different occasions. That's a lot of meetings. So uh, their claims appear to be um, getting serious consideration from the governor's office. And it's not just the governor's office. The group also met with Secretary of State Laurel Lee, who's the state's top uh, elections official. And Defend Florida leaders uh, met with uh, top Republicans in the Florida legislature who are rewriting the state's election laws this year. 
Defend Florida wants to crack down on mail ballots and purge voters from the rolls. Both ideas that GOP lawmakers are pursuing in this year's elections bill. Defend Florida's allegations of voting problems are getting a lot of attention from state leaders, even though local Republican officials who have investigated these claims say that they're bogus. I spoke with Republican election supervisors who have interacted with Defend Florida and dismissed the group's claims. The Manatee County Sheriff's Office also told me that they didn't any evidence of voting fraud uh, after investigating this. Defend Florida leader Caroline Weatherington has ties to Michael Flynn and Patrick Byrne and Roger Stone, some of the most prominent invig- uh, individuals involved in trying to overturn the 2020 election. Weatherington's activities are the Florida equivalent of what Flynn and Byrne and others have been doing in these other swing states to question their election results. Defend Florida is using the false stolen election premise as a rallying cry for a new wave of political activism in Florida, and it could have implications for 2022 and beyond. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here.